Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily's The Sidebar, taking you inside the courtrooms of high-profile and notorious cases from across the country. I'm your host, Joshua Ritter, currently a criminal defense lawyer based here in Los Angeles and previously an L.A. County prosecutor for nearly a decade. We're recording this on Friday, May 13th, 2022. Today, we are excited to be joined by Nia Romani, a former federal prosecutor, legal commentator, and president and CEO of West Coast Trial Lawyers. Nima, welcome. Josh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're excited about this. Lots to cover this week. Uh, let's jump right in. First of all, celebrity chef Mario Batali was acquitted of sexual misconduct charges. Now, if you hadn't been paying attention, this case happened so quickly that many folks missed it. So let's catch everyone up uh, really quickly. Just last Tuesday, May 10th, a Boston municipal judge found Batali not guilty of indecent assault and battery. Judge James Stanton said Batali's conduct and demeanor were not befitting of a public figure of his stature at that time. That's a quote. But he added, and again, quote, he's paid a high cost in terms of diminished reputation and financial loss. Natalie Teeny alleged that in 2017, Batali non-consensually kissed her, rubbed and grabbed her inappropriately while she was taking uh, selfies with a celebrity chef. However, Judge Stanton highlighted that the case was about credibility and said that the accuser had notably significant credibility issues. If convicted, uh, Batali would have been looking at two and a half years in prison if found guilty. It is important to point out that this is not the first or last charge of this nature uh, facing Batali. Notably, last year, Batali and his business partner uh, and their restaurant company agreed to pay $600,000 to reserve, uh, resolve a four-year investigation by the New York Attorney General's office into allegations that Batali and other staff sexually harassed employees. So he certainly got some other troubles on his hands. Nima, the first thing that stood out to me in this case, and I was hoping you could talk to us about, is this was a bench trial. Could you explain why a criminal defendant may choose to waive his constitutional right to a jury trial? Yeah, that was a surprising move. And folks were questioning why Batali's lawyers had waived their jury trial, the right to a jury trial, and asked for a bench trial before Judge Stanton. Well, they certainly had some information on Judge Stanton. And that's why the case moved so quickly. Two days, two witnesses. And it turned out to be a genius move because the alleged victim in this case had significant credibility problems. And one of which I think really pissed off Judge Stanton. And it was this. She 
was a prospective juror. And when she went to jury duty, she was sworn in. She said she was clairvoyant to get out of jury duty. Then there was another instance where she forged a lease to get out of a gym cancellation fee. So, I mean, there was a number of mistakes made by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts in this case, but the victim had significant credibility problems and it tanked the case. So I understand why the defense made the decision they did looking back at it now. That's a really good point. The fact that they would have known that one of the things they were going to bring up on cross was that she had tried to get out of jury duty with this kind of ridiculous explanation. Judges are offended by that. You and I both know from having during jury trials, it's an important civic duty to to them that people serve on a jury and they are not they do not take kindly to people who just come up with kind of ridiculous excuses to get off of it. So I, I gather that, Nima, you think that do you think there may have been a different outcome if this had taken place in front of a jury? I think potentially. And I, the Commonwealth had done its job. I mean, both Tenny and her friend, there were the only two witnesses in this case, presented terribly. Tenny, of course, had filed a civil lawsuit. That's the last thing you want to do before a criminal prosecution, because you know they're going to get beat up on cross-examination, and the argument's going to be that this was all about money. But the text messages between her and her friend, where the friend says to play it up in front of the media, you know, the friend's testimony shifted over time, both in terms of the civil deposition statements she made to Boston PD and now in court. So um, poorly prepared witness, Um, Really just bad case in general. The way you want to prosecute these cases, and obviously, we know we've both prosecuted many sexual assault cases, is whenever it's a he said, she said, you want to bring in those prior bad acts witnesses. And there's at least four, right? You know, that's what happened with Weinstein, Cosby, you know, everyone who's been convicted recently. So you got these other witnesses, file your motion, your 404B, get these other victims in front of a jury that's how you win a case if you're a prosecutor, not with a poor witness who really um, has a history of lying and 50,000 reasons to try to shake down Batali. Yeah, I agree with you. That was shocking that they didn't do that because that's usually how these cases are, are done is that, like you said, they just line up a bunch of folks. And, it, and even if you're uh, the, the, the victim that you are charging the crime for is kind of weak jurors just naturally kind of go, well, listen, if he did it in the past, he probably did it here. And it becomes this whole kind of bootstrapping thing. I We don't know about the motions in Limne or why. And maybe that was kept out. I can't imagine a reason why it would have been. But maybe that also played a role in why they made a decision to go in front of a judge and carry in case there were, were these prior bad acts that a judge might not have uh, his emotions involved as much as bunch as much as a, a group of jurors might. We don't know how if it would have turned out differently, but Batali's team really looks like they made the the, the exact right choice here. Uh, another thing is that infamously, when these charges first surfaced, Batali took responsibility saying, and this is a quote, he, he sent this out in a statement on a tweet. I have made many mistakes and I am very sorry that I've disappointed my friends, my family, my fans, and my team. My behavior was wrong and there are no excuses. I take full responsibility. He then added, in case you're searching for a holiday-inspired breakfast, these pizza dough cinnamon rolls are a fan favorite. Okay, putting aside the completely tone-deaf nature of adding a recipe to the end of this apology, what are your thoughts, if if you are trying to be his attorneys for a moment, about releasing this kind of a statement uh, before you even know if you're facing criminal charges? Yeah, it's really cringeworthy, right? And that's what the law and... 
the PR side really diverge, right? I mean, and we're here in Hollywood and we've represented all sorts of actors. So sometimes I mean, Alec Baldwin, right, famously is given interviews when he's under investigation for shooting and killing someone. So that's the last thing you want if you are a defense attorney. I'm sure they advised him not to do it, but sometimes you can't control your client or there's PR reasons why, you know, they make these statements that really don't help the case. But ultimately, they didn't put him on the stand and rightfully so when you have these two witnesses you can go after and sometimes the best defense is a good offense and they really went on the offense cross-examining and the summation was fantastic as well so give yeah. credit to Batali's team absolutely another thought I had on that statement that he originally released we have to think about historically when this took place that was right in that the heart of that initial wave on on the me too movement and a lot of people were being accused of things and they were all kind of scrambling to figure out how to handle this uh, from a pr perspective mostly and i think a lot of people did this kind of mea culpa thing i've made mistakes i'm learning from it i'm growing as a person years removed now from that initial me too movement do you think things have changed for celebrities and their lawyers and how they handle these types of allegations we're going to talk a little bit later uh, today about Depp v. Heard, and maybe that is kind of a change in things. But what are your thoughts on the kind of changing tide? Yeah, I think we're going to see more cases like Depp, where it's going to be outright denial. This is completely false and fabricated. I'm the victim here because I think we're seeing the tide turn a bit, you know, um, you know, and maybe it's all because of Johnny Depp. And I know we're going to be talking about him a lot on today's podcast, but I think there are some folks, men in particular, and you're seeing this sort of backlash from the Me Too movement and people in the back of their mind are saying, hey, there's a potential for false accusations. So I think there's going to be less of those Mia Culpa's apologies and folks saying, absolutely not, this didn't happen, or there's just going to be silence. I think you're right. I think you're right. Let's talk about no criminal charges for Mike Tyson punching a fellow plane passenger. In an edited video leaked to TMZ Sports, Tyson was seen punching a passenger seated behind him on a JetBlue plane in San Francisco. The passenger is later reportedly seen with blood on his head. A spokesperson for Tyson stated that prior to the incident, the passenger was aggressive, harassing Tyson repeatedly before striking him with a water bottle. Prosecutors refused to press misdemeanor battery charges against Tyson based on the circumstances surrounding the confrontation, including the conduct of the alleged victim. And this is a quote from the DA. It is simply a case that does not belong in the criminal courts. If they want to sue each other, that's their, their business. Um, now, I have to throw in my own kind of anecdote here because uh, I once flew on a very small plane. Uh, from LA to Vegas, and Tyson happened to be another passenger on the plane. It was it was great to meet the man. Uh, but what I noticed is that he was constantly asked to take photos. Several passengers came up to him. They wanted to talk to him. He was a very friendly guy. My point in all of this is that he is not one of these people who can really live a private life, especially on a small place like a plane. So I completely understand how a situation like this could arise. Um, Nima, have you? I'm sure you've seen that video. Do you, did the DA's decision surprise you? Yeah, it did surprise me, but apparently the alleged victim was a jerk, right? He was belligerent. He was drunk. And again, it's not a legal defense, right? Because only legal defense would be self-defense. Uh, but, right. he, you know, and it's not his decision. We know as prosecutors to, quote, press charges, but he didn't want to pursue it. So I think it was just a combination of factors where the DA said, listen, like I don't want to prosecute Mike Tyson 
on behalf of a victim who's not likable, who is not committed to even showing up. So under the circumstances, why am I going to do this if the victim doesn't want to? But yeah, you're right. I mean, I've seen Tyson around. There's a, a situation at a comedy club recently where someone challenged him to a fight. So and with the facial tattoo and the hangover, I mean, everyone knows who he is from us uh, older folks that would play NES and Mike Tyson's punch out <laughs> to, to even uh, the younger listeners watching. Everyone knows who Tyson is. So you're right. Hard for him to really live a private life. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting point you make too. Um, it's not a, an, a question always of what, whether or not a crime was committed, right? I mean, you, you see Tyson and you, you do, I've seen the video and it, it, it he's not, throwing softballs. I mean, he's given haymakers is, is, is about as hard as he can while he's twisted around in the aisle of it, of the plane there. But it, I like to see the discretion out of a prosecutor's office that not every single crime needs to be prosecuted. Sometimes they can use discretion and sometimes they can let it be handled civilly. We saw this most recently with, with Will Smith taking a swing at Chris Rock. That was a crime caught on, on live camera in front of the entire country and the LAPD said, listen, we're not we're not going to do anything until, uh, you know, Chris Rock says that he wants to press charges. Now, they there's an argument to, to, to be made that they don't need that permission. They, they've witnessed the crime themselves. They can go ahead and prosecute it. But they used discretion. Do you do you agree with that kind of attitude from a prosecutor's office? Yeah, I mean, look, I have my own criticisms of the city attorney and the district attorney here in L.A., but. I mean, I think that has to be a consideration, right? When you have an assault case and the victim does not desire prosecution, setting aside like domestic violence when the victim rarely des- desires prosecution and you got to prosecute it anyway, um, I think that's something that, you know, DAs or city attorneys should consider in deciding whether to file charges or not. Because look, the victim doesn't want to be there, doesn't want to have anything to do with the case. And especially when the victim is not likable, I think that's the type of case that you might want to walk away from if you're a DA. Yeah. All right, Nima, you've been both on the criminal side of things as a prosecutor. Now you're on the civil side of things as a plaintiff's attorney. Um, how do you see, I, I, I would not be shocked if this guy ends up suing Tyson because he's probably thinking Tyson's got deep pockets and I want to get paid. I've been embarrassed now on video that everybody's seen. Um, how do you think this video affects a civil case? If you're Tyson's attorney, do you push for a quick settlement given, given that that video is out there? I think so. I mean, there's no real legal justification. Uh, Being a jerk does not mean that you can get pummeled on a plane in front of (laughs) dozens of witnesses, right? Right. The video speaks for itself. So look, he might not be likable, but ultimately, if he was going to pursue a civil case, the smart thing would do would be to pursue criminal prosecution, right? That's going to make your civil case a lot easier. Plus, you might get some restitution. So we'll see how aggressively he pursues a civil claim. But if that's something he's going to do, I think it's a strong case. Uh, Hopefully he presents a lot better than he did when he was on the plane. Yeah. Um, Last kind of thought on this. It got me thinking. Tyson has done a lot to repair his image. I mean, we remember years ago he had even gone to prison. Uh, There was there's a lot of videotape out there of him acting like a very violent person. Uh, do you think he would have been given the same pass 10 or so years ago? I don't think so. If he's coming yeah. off you know, the rape case and all sorts of crazy <laughs> things that were happening back then, um, likely not. I mean, ultimately, if the DA thought that this is someone who's dangerous and may do it again, he'd be looking at prosecution, Josh. Yeah. 
Last question, and it's another hypothetical. If Tyson were not a celebrity, and this was just a videotape of one man punching another man on a plane, do you think the DA's office would have used that same kind of discretion that they did here? You would hope that they do, but we all know yeah. that, you know, prosecutors are elected officials or appointed by someone who's elected and politics and public perception matters a lot in these types of cases. So absolutely, absolutely. Moving on to a case that has been really capturing headlines for the last couple of weeks, and it's now had a dramatic end. We're talking about the capture of Casey White and the death of Vicki White. Uh, to catch people up, Vicki White, a correction officer, was implicated in the escape of inmate Casey White from an Alabama jail. Uh, they have no relation to each other other than the last name. The two allegedly had a special relationship, however, that they had developed uh, in the jail um, from the dates prior to the escape. On her last day before retirement, Vicki White transported Casey White, claiming uh, he, he was going to the courthouse for a mental health evaluation. The two never returned and eluded authorities for over 10 days. The couple was spot spotted in a Cadillac sedan 300 miles away in Indiana where a police chase ensued. Authorities rammed the vehicle and it was overturned into a ditch. In some dramatic audio video, um, uh, Vicky can be heard on a 911 call urging Casey to get them back to the hotel where they were staying. She later suffered a self-inflicted fatal gunshot wound. It is alleged that Casey White planned on a shootout with police. All right, dramatic and tragic end to this case. Right off the bat, is there a chance, and I was thinking about this, is there a chance that Casey could get charged in some way for the death of Vicky? Yeah, I mean, it's possible, but I think it's unlikely. I mean, he's already a convicted murderer, right? He's been sentenced yeah. to 75 years, so he's going to die in prison already. Um, to, you know, to try to charge him and try to connect the suicide, I think it's going to be challenging, probably not necessary, but yeah. really just a bizarre, tragic case. You nailed it. Someone talk about looking for love in all the wrong places. Someone that <laughs> by all accounts has been a law abiding citizens, sheriff, corrections officer, and to fall in love with a convicted murderer, abandon her family, abandon her career and community and ultimately kill herself. Really kind of a, a head scratcher, Josh. Yeah, yeah. Going back to that point about charging him for her death, I agree with you. Probably highly unlikely. But I was trying to wonder about, you know, if you get an especially aggressive prosecutor. And in, in California, we have this concept of natural and probable consequences doctrine, which says that, like, if two people are involved, uh, intend to commit a crime, in this case, it would be the escape. But instead, one of the participants of that crime commits another crime in this case, the death of Vicky, could he be held responsible? In other words, is it was it were they taking part in such a dangerous enterprise that Casey should have known one of them might end up dead? Now, I, again, I know you're going to say, well, she committed suicide and that kind of breaks the causation. But I'm just curious on your thoughts on 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 just really trying to be aggressive on this. Do you think there's any pathway for, for charges on Vicky's death? I mean, there's certainly a path, but I think that's a clear appellate issue. I think that that suicide, you turn the gun upon yourself, that breaks the chain of causation. Proximate causation could be civil, could be criminal. I mean, there's no way. It's one thing if, you know, there's a shootout, right? He's armed with the AR-15, multiple handguns. The marshals are after them. I mean, there's no yeah. question that they are likely going to die. And if she dies, absolutely, you can hold Casey responsible. But when it's just... She's calling 911. Marshall's rammed the vehicle. She turns the gun on herself and pulls the trigger. 
I think that's something that Casey can't be held liable for. I think you're right. I think you're right. Here's a much more likely uh, uh, scenario, though. Casey is awaiting trial in the capital murder case for the stabbing of an elderly woman during a burglary. Could the prosecution use this escape crime and Vicky's death um, as somehow evidence in that capital murder case? No question. During the sentencing phase, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is all relevant conduct. It's coming in, you know? Yeah. And this is something the judge can consider. They can consider uncharged crimes, all sorts of information in the sentencing phase. So that's why I said that he's going to be convicted and he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison because of this escape. Right. Especially, I was thinking, if it becomes anything at issue that he is... They, they try to his defense team tries to at all allege that he's not a violent type person. All of this yeah. stuff, it opens up the door for this all coming in. And you could see why a prosecution would absolutely want to put that in front of jurors, especially in the sentencing case on this serious of a, a matter. You're asking for capital punishment. You, you need to explain to the jurors while this while why this murder stands apart from others. And that's because this person will try to escape. This person's career in violence is not over. I could absolutely see that coming up. Oh, yeah, no question. Let's not forget it. $29,000, you know? This isn't someone that, like, your typical escapee, right? You know, they escape, they're in shackles, they're in prison garb. I mean, they had a plan ready to go. And obviously, this is Vicky helping Casey, but, you know, really, like, but for the grace of God and the excellent work of law enforcement and that tipster that saw their vehicle at that car wash. I mean, we're lucky that multiple civilians and law enforcement were killed in this case. He was prepared to die by suicide by cop. That's what he said. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a tragic ending in the sense that Vicky lost her life, but at the same time, you're right. It it could have been far, far worse given the, the, the violence of this person that was involved here. Turning to the, the, the case that we, we just can't escape, we're talking about Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. The landmark defamation suit is currently on a one-week recess before the proceedings continue in Fairfax County. Actress Ellen Barkin is also set to take the stand. She and Depp uh, dated briefly while fi- filming Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. She has made claims that he is abusive and threw a wine bottle at her in an altercation. And reportedly, Amber Heard's legal team will call Depp back to the stand. So this is this case is far from over and and and, and continuing to get more interesting as the days go by. OK, so court adjourned after Heard's testimony alleging an account of sexual assault. Now, this is always something that I've thought about um when I've been doing trials is that if we're going to take a long break, and this oftentimes happens that, you know, for pre-planned reasons, courts may have to go dark for a while. You don't want that if you're the, you know, on the plaintiff side or defense side or prosecution side, you want to make sure that you end on a point that's going to leave something in the jurors' minds that's helpful to you. Well, that worked out for the the herd team here hearing about this sexual assault. However, tell us how an extended break um, could possibly help the depth team given their time to prepare for cross oh the cross-examination is going to be brutal josh they've had more than a week for prepare the burdens on them to prove that herd is a liar so they're going to come after her aggressively and we know this because even though depp has finished his case in chief he's actually used less time witness time right and the judge has been pretty strict on how much time she's given the party so depp's team has used less time we know they're saving it for two reasons 
cross-examination of Amber Heard. We're going to see fireworks over the course of several days and their rebuttal witnesses, right? So the question is, with the whole Kate Moss testimony, now you got Ellen Barkin coming in. Does that open the door to Amber Heard's exes testifying on rebuttal? Because at least according to Depp's team, she's reportedly violent and abusive, and they can show they can show a pattern of her exaggerating and lying and making up these allegations. That's going to be really helpful for Depp's team. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Depp's team has been working nonstop this whole week. They are certainly not taking time off, and they are just preparing the most robust uh, cross-examination that they can. That's always a difficult thing. When you're in court and you're listening to testimony, you're jotting down notes, and then you don't have a break, and you have to get up there and start cross-examining someone, it's sometimes hard to gather your thoughts. Well, now they've had a week to do it. Another thing I was thinking about, and to keep in mind, this case has a bunch of videotaped prior testimony during depositions, right? We're in a no expenses uh, held back kind of situation here with, with Johnny Depp and his team, right? I could see them getting clip after clip of her deposition, not to mention this entire trial has been videotaped, juxtaposing her testimony and trial with her de- testimony and the depositions on clip after clip. Couldn't you see this turning into an absolute just just melee and the way that they cross-examine her because her demeanor was quite different in the depositions that it's been on the stand. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a very different Amber Heard. Hair down, or at least partially down, less makeup. This isn't the, the powerful, aggressive woman that we saw during the deposition testimony. And even with Johnny Depp, I mean, you want in any type of violence case to for your client to really show the juror that they're not emotional. They're going to be calm. They're going to be cool. So we'll see if Amber Heard can maintain her composure and not get rattled because she clearly did during her deposition testimony. Yeah. And that's exactly what they're hoping for, right? They just want to see that one glimmer of how she was during the deposition that they can then point out to the jurors in closing argument. That's the real Amber Heard. Yeah. Um, What is the strategy for the defense in bringing Johnny back to the stand? Could this be an indication of something uh, that wasn't brought out in his original cross-examination? And uh, do you have any thoughts on that? I think it's to get control of the witness, right? Because we know Depp is going to testify in rebuttal. And he was an outstanding witness. You know, we cover trials all the time. And sometimes, you know, we, we talked about Batali, really like cringeworthy witnesses, terrible, unprepared. Johnny Depp was charming. Uh, he was vulnerable. He talked about this abuse that he suffered at the hands of his mom. I mean, the jurors... And the public, if you look at the social media reaction, it's probably 90, 95% in Depp's favor. So we know he's going to be an outstanding witness. We know he's going to come back. So I think what Hurd's team is thinking, well, let us get the first crack at him. We ask the questions on cross. So we're not stuck behind the eight ball like we were during his case in chief where he got several days of testimony and we were playing catch up. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I agree with you on his testimony, how it was received. Listen, both of these people have been prepared tremendously, right? I mean, they, they've gone over this testimony with their teams for hours upon hours. But I found Depp to just be more authentic. It, just the way he was responding and the way that he was answering, I felt like he was telling us the truth. Heard, on the other hand, it, it 
at points seemed to be overcoached to me. She did this thing where she would constantly look at the jurors and then, you know, respond to the question or listen to the question and then respond to it by looking at the jurors. And it just seemed a little contrived to me. Now, does that mean that Depp's just a better actor than her? I don't know. But I'm saying that the way that I just my gut reaction to it was that he seemed to be more authentic. Was that your your thoughts as well? Oh, no question. I mean, Depp is one of the best actors of our generation. And I'm not saying he was acting on the witness stand, but he was oozing charisma when he was yeah. testifying. I mean, he was fantastic. Maybe one of the best witnesses I've ever seen. And again, this isn't a PR case. And I think the law and, the, and many of the facts really do favor Amber Heard. But if we're talking about a case that Johnny Depp needed to potentially resurrect his career and change the narrative, He's already won, regardless yeah. of what happens uh, with those seven jurors in Fairfax County do with respect yeah. to the legal case. Right. You say it's not a PR case, but but I think it is to him. I really do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if this is about money at all, but repairing his image. All right. Uh, another thing that is made uh, has had a lot of reactions um, over the over the Internet and Twitter and TikTok and everywhere else is that Depp's team. When they heard the mention of Kate Moss, their reaction during Heard's testimony, Heard, Heard appeared to be referring to an unverified rumor that Depp once pushed Moss, Moss pardon me, down the stairs when they were dating in the 90s. Moss, however, has never publicly accused Depp of misconduct and in interviews has spoken fondly of him. What what do you think that reaction was about? Does this open the door uh, to testimony that Depp may have been prevented from bringing him before? And how, could you explain to listeners how that works? Yeah, Josh is one of two things. We all saw that fist bump. I mean, yeah. Depp's attorneys were happy. It's going to be one of two things, maybe both. One, they're going to bring Kate Moss to testify that that never happened, right? So that's going to discredit Heard's testimony. Or it opens the door to Heard's exes, right? We've yeah. heard about James Franco, Elon Musk, all these famous celebrities that were on the witness list. We haven't seen any of them yet, but maybe we will during that rebuttal case because we talked about prior bad acts. And obviously, these aren't prior bad acts, but again, if there are exes that say Heard has an MO, you know, she's borderline, she's histrionic, all these things we've seen the Sykes experts say, that's going to be very damaging for Amber Heard. Yeah, and and there is, we know one case out there, uh, Heard was arrested on a misdemeanor domestic violence charge at the Seattle airport in 2009 after she was accused of hitting her then-girlfriend in the arm during an argument. Now, I don't know what came of all of that, but if you're on Depp's team and that door has been opened, you better be sure they're going to try to put testimony like that on. Uh, all right, uh, I'm going to give you the last word. Uh, go ahead and give us your prediction. How do you think this all ends for Depp and Heard? This is a tough one, Josh. Um, I really want to wait, and I don't want to lawyer you. I really want to. <laughs> I really want to wait to see how Amber Heard does on yeah. cross. Everyone's predicting Johnny Depp's going to win, but here's my thoughts. From what I've seen so far, this was a toxic, violent, terrible relationship, right? And I think Heard has and will continue to testify that she was violent and abusive too. She said both in deposition and a trial that she hit Johnny Depp. The question is, did Depp ever hit her back? And I think based on what I've heard so far, I think, and again, folks are going to hate me for saying this, I wouldn't be surprised if Heard is able to prove at least one instance where she was the victim of domestic violence. So we'll see how she does. But I think the facts and law favor her, Josh. 
and that's all it would take, right? In this defamation suit, if she can prove one act, then that's not def defamation. Then she's proven truth, and the whole thing falls apart for for Depp. You may you might be right, but I I completely agree with you that it's unfair for me to ask you because yeah. where the rubber really hits the road is how she does in cross examination. She could have done fantastic and direct, but the wheels could completely come off in cross examination. But if she performs really well. I think you might be right. I think she might have a, a fighting chance in this. Yeah, this week is going to absolutely make her make her case, Josh. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to it. Nima, thank you so much for coming on this week. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, every social media platform at westcoasttriallawyers.com. That's our firm and me personally at Nima Romani, N-E-A-M-A-R-A-H-M-A-N-I. Fantastic. And I'm your host, Josh Ritter. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Joshua Ritter ESQ. And you can find our sidebar episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And we want to hear from you. If you have questions or comments you'd like us to address, tweet us your questions with the hashtag TCD sidebar. And thank you for joining us at the True Crime Daily Sidebar. <laughs>